0: Not on your life, no. It's a, I, I very much appreciate it. I'm I'm looking forward to diving in this morning. The we're we're going to be back in the last chapter of the book of First Thessalonians this morning, which is chapter five. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles if you have them or your device, and 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 feel free to follow along that way. First Thessalonians, chapter five. Over the, over the last few verses of our verse-by-verse verse study of this book, we've been looking at how a, a spiritual family or a spiritual body is to function together. A, a few weeks ago, we saw how church ministers and church members are to function together. We, we looked at the responsibilities that church ministers have to church members, and, and we looked at some of the responsibilities that church members have To church ministers and then the last two weeks we've been seeing from this chapter how it is That we're to function among ourselves We we've seen that there are some specific ways that we're to function in here amongst ourselves And one of the ways is is that we're to be at peace with one another We spent a whole sunday talking about that we we've also seen that we're to show patience to everyone We've seen that we're, we're not to render evil or we're not to return evil to those that treat us evil, but we're actually to follow after that which is good. That's how we're to treat everyone. But we've also seen that there are some specific ways that we're to handle specific people that are struggling With a specific problem so so some of what we studied last week was how we're to we're to warn the unruly we're to comfort the feeble-minded and we're to support the weak we handle each struggle different based on what the struggle is so we need to understand who it is that we're dealing with in order to understand that we're handling these people properly because when we don't handle people properly And we don't show them patience and we and we render evil for evil Well, then we're never gonna be at peace among ourselves. Are we (laughs) and we don't if we don't have peace in here in, in our spiritual family Then we're never gonna function together to accomplish the things that God intends for all of us to accomplish together we as the church are the one vehicle that God has specifically dedicated to be the vehicle through which the gospel is spread to the world and the age in which we're living. And so how we function together is of unbelievable importance so that we're able to accomplish the work of the Lord together. That's why we're here. That's why we've been left on this planet. And so now that we've come through the section of this chapter that I just described, where we learn how to, how to function together amongst ourselves, we've now reached this extremely practical part of the chapter, which has to do with our personal walk with the Lord. But for, for the most part, the rest of the chapter or, or the, the rest of the book is filled with these just short little exhortations or these short little truths that, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been called to live by. And the first one I want us to see this morning is number one on your study sheet. It's we're to always be rejoicing. We're to always be rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, which is already on the screen, it simply says, rejoice evermore. Yep, that's it. (laughs) Just do that. One, One of the shortest verses... In the entire Bible, man, that that seems like it it should be easy enough as we just have to do those two little words. Because what rejoicing is, though, it's it's the it's the expression of the joy that's in our hearts. And you don't have to be around long to figure out that expressing that is a whole lot easier said than done. But our lives are to always be putting the joy that's in our hearts on display we could describe rejoicing as as showing and expressing great joy or as being being full of cheer and i know some of you are thinking well with the way that i'm put together if i tried to pretend like i was full of cheer everybody would think i was full of something else (laughs) you may say it's it's hard for me to rejoice because i 'm not full of joy it's It's been a rough year, man finances are finances are tight, loved ones are sick, I hate my job i'm I'm spread too thin i'm stressed out and man, I do get all that, and I do sympathize with all that but but that's why I want to take just a second to remind all of us of what it was that was actually going on when Paul Silas, and Timothy wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. Many of you may remember when we started our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians about 10 months ago, we kicked things off by talking about that exact thing. There was a lot going on in Thessalonica around the time that Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote what we now know as 1 Thessalonians. Acts 17 actually gives us the history in the backstory of what all was going on. It's very interesting. Acts 17 and verse 1, it, it tells us that Paul went into the Jewish synagogue. He he went there for about three Sabbath days, and and he reasoned with the Thessalonians out of the Scriptures, and he showed them that Jesus was the Christ. He was was the Messiah. He was God in human flesh. He was the one that the Old Testament had been prophesying about. And verse 4 says that that because of Paul giving them the truth of the message of the gospel, there were Thessalonians that believed on Jesus' name. That's the reason that there was this need for this church in Thessalonica, because of these people that got saved. But there was another group of people, and they were ticked off about what was going on. Verse 5 of Acts 17, in the following verse, it says, the the Jews that believed not moved with envy, and they took unto themselves lewd fellows of the baser sort and they gathered a company and they set all the city on an uproar and they assaulted the house of jason and sought to bring them out to the people so the jews that didn't believe man they were they were beside themselves at what was going on they they grabbed some of these low life folks that they had in the area to go assault some of the ones that believed in the, in the truth, some of the ones that had believed the truth of what Paul had shared with them and, and had gotten saved. And he rounds these rough folks up, and according to Acts 17.10, because of the assault that came, that was, ca- that, that was actually what caused Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, um, don't mind my lip, that's what caused Paul and Silas, that, but, you know, when you're saying Thessalonians and Silas too much, man, you got you to watch that. Paul and Silas to get out of Thessalonica. They weren't intending to leave just yet, but they were fleeing persecution. That's why they got out of there, and they were unbelievably concerned with how the Thessalonians were doing in the midst of all of this. They had just led these guys to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and no sooner had they led them to the Lord than they were all under immediate persecution. And so that's why ultimately Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they write this letter to the church of the Thessalonians. It's why we have it here available to us to learn from almost 2,000 years later, and they were so concerned about the Thessalonians that, that even though Paul and Silas had to stay back, they... They sent Timothy to see how are the Thessalonians doing? What's, what's going on? How are, they, how are they handling everything? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, it says that they sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. And here was their concern, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto for verily when we were with you we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know so they sent timothy to to establish the thessalonians in the faith and comfort them because they were concerned that because of all these afflictions and all of these tribulations that were going on in their life that they immediately experienced right after salvation They were fearing that this was going to get these guys rattled and shaken up, and it's going to sideline them from the plans and purposes that God has for their lives. And by the way, that is so often how it happens. Someone gets saved, or God is working big in somebody's life, and some sort of affliction or tribulation comes along soon after that for the purpose of sidelining them from the plan and purposes that God has for their lives. But listen... I brought you through all of that to show you that as Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians, they were writing to a group of people that were being persecuted for their faith. They were being assaulted. They were being afflicted and were going through tribulation after having been saved for what had to have amounted for around a few weeks, probably not much more than that. That was the world in which these guys were living in. For the church of the Thessalonians, that was their reality. So with that as the backdrop, let me quote 1 Thessalonians 5.16 again. Rejoice evermore. That hits different now, it? Rejoice, rejoice about what? Rejoice about being assaulted and afflicted over my three-week-old faith? You'd think that the Thessalonians would be tempted to write themselves a letter back to Paul, Silas, and Timothy and say, I'm pretty sure you guys are well aware of the conditions in which we are living. And since you are, you should also be aware that we don't have a whole lot to be rejoicing about right now. So what are you guys talking about? And this is why it's so important for us to understand what the source of our rejoicing was designed to be. That's letter A on your study sheet, the source of our rejoicing. If we're going to be able to follow this command to always be rejoicing or always be expressing our joy, we're going to have to understand where that rejoicing is to come from because biblically the source of our rejoicing is not our circumstances because god never promised that our circumstances would always be good but he did instruct us to always be rejoicing in fact he he did actually make a promise concerning our circumstances it's just that the promises aren't that they'll always be good is it, that we could count on them sometimes being bad that's what the promise was we just looked at this in first thessalonians 3 3 and 4 it says we have Appointments with afflictions, and we are going to suffer tribulation. Second Timothy 3:12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The bad times are gonna come, but despite that, we've been commanded to rejoice evermore, so our circumstances can't be where our joy and rejoicing comes from. In fact, if if joy and rejoicing only come from our circumstances, then we are nothing more than a victim of our circumstances. Our circumstances control us, and we're as high as they'll take us, and we're as low as they'll take us. And listen, this is how most people live their lives. They live their lives on the roller coaster of the highs, in the lows, and they're a willing victim to their circumstances. Their mood and their attitude goes hand in hand with how good things are going. But you see, the reason that God is able to call us to rejoice evermore on one hand and tell us we're going to have tough times on the other hand is because the source of our rejoicing and where our joy comes from comes from another source. John 15, 11 tells us where our joy and rejoicing is to come from. In this verse, Jesus has just finished talking about the fact that, that he's the vine and we're the branches and, and we're to abide in him. Jesus says we're to abide in the intimacy of a love relationship with him and keep his commandments. And then he says this in verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that... My joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You see, our joy or rejoicing doesn't come from our circumstances, it comes from Jesus. Jesus wants to abide in an intimate love relationship with us so that his joy will remain in us and we will be full of joy. Two chapters later, in John 17 and verse 13, Jesus. Is praying to the father and he says and now I come to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have My joy Fulfilled in themselves You you see true joy and rejoicing evermore It can't come from circumstances. Otherwise, it's impossible to rejoice evermore The only place it can come from is from Jesus Jesus is the source our joy comes from him And some of you may be thinking, okay, well, how does that work then? Because I don't have that kind of joy in my heart that comes from Jesus. And if that's you, then then most likely this has to do with your focus. So I want us to see letter B, the, the focus of our rejoicing. The focus of our rejoicing. We've seen that the source of our joy or rejoicing but what, that, that is Jesus, but what's the focus supposed to be? And 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 answers this for us. And listen to what it says. It says, whom having not seen, ye love, talking about Jesus, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. Here's how you can have the unspeakable joy in your life that only comes from Jesus that leads to rejoicing. Because despite any circumstances that are in your life that are, that's weighing you down, you know how the story ends, man. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are someone that at a place and time in your life has understood that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that that Savior is none other than Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. And by faith you believed that he died, was buried, and rose again, paying the price for your sin. And by faith you cried out to Jesus to save you. If that's true of your life, then despite your circumstances, you know how the story ends. And it ends with spending eternity with our Father in heaven. And that's the focus of your life. Philippians 4.4, 4, it says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. The reason we can always rejoice is because we're rejoicing in the Lord. We're not rejoicing in the highs and the lows of our circumstances. No, we're, we're rejoicing in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord despite our circumstances because we're seeing our lives from an eternal perspective, and that's our focus. We're not seeing our lives through the, through the lens of the physical. We're seeing our lives through the lens of the spiritual. Rejoicing in the Lord puts our circumstances in perspective. Paul shows us this in, in, in detail in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 10. Paul he's describing himself and check out what he says here's how he describes himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things and you see what Paul does here in this verse He acknowledges the reality of his temporal, physical circumstances, but then he puts it in perspective by comparing it to the eternal and the spiritual. So he's sorrowful, or or in other words, there are circumstances in his life that no one would ever choose for themselves, but he's always rejoicing. And the reason he could always rejoice, because his focus was on the eternal and the spiritual, not the physical and the temporal. He knew how the story ended. He was going to meet his Savior face-to-face one day after this short little life is over, and that allowed him to still rejoice in the midst of sorrow. He then describes himself as being poor, yet making many rich. Sure, he was poor physically, and he didn't have money. But he was making many rich spiritually by leading them into a relationship with the Lord. And again, he acknowledges the physical, but he keeps it in perspective with the spiritual. And then Paul says he has nothing, and yet he possessed all things. And he's right. Physically, Paul had diddly squat to his name. But oh my goodness, the eternal spiritual possessions. That Paul knew he was going to have in heaven makes everything he could have gained in this short temporal life look like a pile of trash. And three times Paul takes the reality of the temporal in his physical plight and he puts it in perspective by comparing it to his eternal spiritual reality. And that's exactly how we're able to rejoice evermore despite unfavorable circumstances in our lives you you see for most of us our circumstances are the source of our rejoicing and the focus of our rejoicing so our rejoicing isn't actually biblical rejoicing whereas the bible is teaching us that god is the source of true rejoicing and he's also the focus when we're focused on him and, and and the hope that we have in him he gives us joy in our hearts and we can truly rejoice no matter what i love how romans 5 in verse starting in verse 1 describes rejoicing in the midst of tribulations have you ever seen this it says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ by whom also we have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Isn't that incredible? It isn't just that we can limp through Our circumstances is that we can rejoice in the midst of our circumstances. We can rejoice in the midst of tribulation as we focus on God, as we focus on the eternal, because we know that even in the midst of tribulations and circumstances that we would never pick for ourselves in a million years, we know in the midst of that, God is doing a work in us through that. He's doing a work in our hearts and He's conforming us more into His image. And because of that, we can still rejoice. Check out the example that Habakkuk sets for us. I want you to see the perspective that Habakkuk has. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17, here's what he says. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, Lord, even if you essentially take everything from me to the point where I can't find anything to eat, I'm going to rejoice. And the reason that he could rejoice in the Lord, according to verse 18, was because the Lord was the God of his salvation. Habakkuk knew how the story ended, regardless of what he was going through. The way he was gonna, that his story was going to end was with eternal life with the God that saved him. You remember how Jesus set this exact example for us, too? Jesus sets this example for us because the Bible teaches us how it was that he was able to endure the cross. Do you remember how it was? you remember what Jesus' focus was as he suffered and was brutally beaten when he took our place on that cross? We find it in Hebrews 12, 2. In, in, in the previous verse, in verse 1, it says we're to, we're to run the race that's set before us with patience. And then verse 2 says, as we run that w- race, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured all that he went through on the cross because his focus was on the joy that was set before him. And that's the focus that we're to have, and that's why we can rejoice no matter what, because of the joy that's set before us. The joy of eternal life with our savior and the joy of bringing him glory the joy of receiving eternal reward in heaven. And man, I say all of that and and I don't mean to undermine all that some of you may be going through. Many of you have lived things that, that I have never lived and I sympathize with that. And so when God lays these truths out for us though, it's not to undermine our circumstances. It's to keep them in focus and keep them in perspective because that's the path to rejoicing Because that focus is the only thing that can get us through whatever it is we're going through with joy That's one of the reasons it's so important to find this path to rejoicing Otherwise our circumstances are going to have the ability to completely debilitate us And and what I want us to do is is take a minute to to see the importance of of rejoicing in in just a little bit more detail. We, we've seen the source of our rejoicing and the focus of our rejoicing. Now let me remind you of the importance of our of our rejoicing. We we've been talking about this thing of rejoicing all morning, but but you know this isn't really something that interestingly enough, it's not something we tend to talk about a whole lot, and and I'm not really sure why that is because rejoicing and and having joy biblically it has some unbelievable significance and importance the end of nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 it says that the joy of the lord is our strength last week we talked about those that are that are those that are weak or those that are weak-minded or those that are struggling with being feeble-minded and And how it is that we're to handle folks that are struggling with those things. But do you realize that the the root of the problem of being weak or or weak or feeble-minded is? We're weak and feeble-minded because we don't have the joy of the Lord. You know why so many of us struggle with depression? And struggle to have strength to just keep going in life? Because you don't have the joy of the Lord. That's what depression is. It's lacking joy. If you had the joy of the Lord, it would strengthen you. Well, you're oversimplifying a very complex problem. Either that or maybe everyone is overcomplicating a very simple problem. Now, Now, I'm not saying overcoming depression is easy, But the problem is relatively simple. Someone lacks joy in their life and the only way anyone can have true joy regardless of circumstances is from the Lord by having an eternal focus and perspective on life. That doesn't mean that overcoming depression is easy to achieve but the solution is a simple concept. It isn't complex. And if you struggle in that area, I don't say that to shame you I say it to encourage you. I say it so you can get victory over that in your life. The Bible teaches us that we can have joy and we can rejoice and we should have joy and we should rejoice in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad. And as we've been seeing this morning, the way we're able to do that is when God is the source of our joy and our rejoicing and and the way God gives us his joy and rejoicing Is when our focus is on him and it's on the eternal we 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 can focus on the fact that no matter what happens in this life If we're saved we're spending eternity with god in heaven. No matter what We can focus on the fact that as we navigate trials and tribulations We have the ability to navigate them in a way that brings glory to the one who experienced trials and tribulations on our behalf we can focus on the fact that we can bring God glory and receive eternal reward in heaven in the midst of this temporary suffering on this earth. And through that perspective, we'll have the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord will be our strength. That's so important because that is the biblical cure to something that our, our, our culture, our society struggles with so much, depression. If we focus on our circumstances and the and the way our country is headed and inflation and man we're we're all going to be depressed, aren't we? But we can have joy and we can rejoice because we know how the story ends for us as believers in Jesus Christ. the joy of the Lord is our strength and, and have you ever noticed that this thing of Of joy and rejoicing. It's it's actually so important that in the book of Philippians, Paul tells us that he said, I basically can't stop talking about this thing. Have you ever noticed that when you're reading through Philippians? That's what he says in Philippians 3.1. He sits there and says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then look what he says next. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Paul is stressing the importance of rejoicing in the Lord, not only by repeating himself, but then by drawing attention to the fact that he has been repeating himself. At this point in chapter 3, Paul has already mentioned the word rejoicing or joy seven times. And including this verse, he goes on to mention it three more times in this short book. Paul begins talking about joy and rejoicing in chapter 1 in in verse 4 in and from there, he literally just won't stop talking about it. I'm not going to take you through all those verses in the screen, but they're, they're there so that you can see he's not lying. This whole book, he just will not shut up about it, and he makes no apologies for it. In fact, he describes it in chapter 3 and verse 1 as safe. It's safe for me to do. Because of the importance of rejoicing in the Lord, there's safety in being continually reminded about its importance. There's safety in living a life of rejoicing in the Lord. It keeps us on solid ground. It it, it keeps us from being susceptible to danger. It keeps us from being susceptible to depression. And if you walked in here this morning and rejoicing isn't, And Rejoicing in the lord isn't something that's in your life. It's not something that's on your radar It's something you've never understood the significance of And I want to make sure that you see its importance this morning And get it on your radar so it can get into your life so that you're sure to be in a place of safety So we're to always be rejoicing And, and, and according to the verses we're studying this morning That's not all that we should always be doing because we should also always be praying. Number two, we're to always be praying. They, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they hit us with another short verse here in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And, and it says, <clears throat> "It's there it is, pray without ceasing. That's it. God desires for us and has called us to live our lives in continual conversation with the Lord. Though though it's obviously not every second of every day, it is something that should be consistently recurring. He's not looking for us to simply set aside a few minutes in the morning before we start our day and Come before him in prayer and then run off and not say another word to him until the next morning No, he he wants that time dedicated to him But throughout the rest of the day. He wants us to pray without ceasing as we go throughout our day And and I think the way it works for most of us is is the that with whatever time that we do give god We tend to prioritize reading our bibles over praying right we in And obviously, I'm not discouraging you from from reading your Bible this morning, but I do want us to see the priority that God puts on prayer, so much so that we're to do it without ceasing. I love the quote that I, I believe it's Spurgeon credited with saying, when asked what's more important, reading the Bible or praying, he said, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? So though, I, though I, I certainly hope we prioritize our time in God's word, what I'm asking you this morning is, is how, how's your prayer life? God says, here's the priority I want you to have on it. I want you to do it all the time. That's the priority I have. And, and, and listen, this is a group of people that understands that this whole thing of the Christian life, we, we say it all the time, right? It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship and that's so true and that's one of the things that this verse is showing us it's about a relationship with our savior where we're in continual communication with him isn't that what a relationship is all about just a handful of verses ago in the same chapter of first thessalonians and in first thessalonians five ten, we saw that that jesus died for us So that we'd live together with him. That's why that's what salvation is all about having a relationship with Jesus where we live together with him and we're in daily Consistent fellowship and communication and and we're living in the intimacy of a love relationship with him Like the relationship with a husband and a wife like that's designed to be because we as the church are the bride of christ jesus is our husband and we're his bride and we submit to him as he leads and we have a love relationship where we have communication and fellowship as we live together with him that's how god designed it to be romans twelve twelve sums up everything we've been talking about this morning when it when it tells us that we should we should be rejoicing in hope Patient and tribulation continuing instant in prayer in other words, we're to be constantly diligent in prayer and Though we could break out right now and do a multiple week or month study on prayer I want us to focus this morning on the main point that Paul Silas and Timothy were trying to make sure The church of the Thessalonians understood and what God wants to make sure that we understand and that's the regularity with which we're to pray we're to pray without ceasing in a world where things are constantly fighting for our attention and we have no shortage of things to entertain ourselves with at any given time we've got our phone in our hand our radio in the car tv at the house and in a world where all those things are fighting for our attention god says I want to hear from you, and I want to hear from you all the time. So why don't you turn off some of those distractions and spend some time with me? So so in our verses this morning, we've seen we're, we're to rejoice evermore. We're to pray without ceasing. Then there's one more thing we're going to look at this morning that should always be a part of our daily lives. Number three, we're to always be thankful. We're to always be thankful 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which is on the screen, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We, We should always be thankful in all things. In everything we're to give thanks, that is God's will for our lives. Prayer was meant to be so much more than us simply coming before God and expressing all of our worries and our concerns. Sure, God, God loves us. God wants to hear all of those things. But prayer was intended to be so much more than that. And my concern is that in, in modern day Christianity, that we've gotten so far from anything that could be even remotely recognized as a biblical prayer. And one of the reasons that is, is because of this thing of thankfulness is so often nowhere to be found within our prayers and and according to verse 18 the will of God is that in everything we give thanks the good the bad the ugly we we give thanks when we win we give thanks when we lose that's God's will Philippians 4 6 describes how we're to pray and here's what he says It it, it should look like it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Do you see that? Have you ever, have you ever let that verse soak in for just a second? God says, make your requests and your petitions, make them known unto me. I want to hear all about it. But in the midst of God telling us to make our request known unto him, did you notice that God has a request of his own? God says, bring it all before me. I want to hear about it. I love you. I want to hear your request. But but my request is, is that when you do that, you do it with thanksgiving. You see, when we're expressing our thankfulness to God and we're acknowledging our many countless blessings starts to put our requests into perspective really quick, doesn't it? We are always to give thanks in all things. And if you're struggling to envision what that could potentially look like, giving thanks in all things looks something like Ephesians five nineteen and 20 shows us. It gives us a great example. Here's what, here's what Paul says. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be thankful for all things. We're to give thanks always. And the way it's described here is, it's it's like you're talking to yourself. It's like you're you're singing to yourself, and you're singing songs to the Lord, and you're giving Him thanks. Even if you've got a terrible voice, he still wants to hear those things. Even if somebody catches you singing to yourself and they're immediately aware of the fact of why you're not up here on stage, even if that's the case, he wants that from you. When you're thankful to God for his his countless blessings, that's just one of the ways it it flows out of you naturally. And And this whole thing, when you're doing that, interestingly enough, Sounds a whole lot like rejoicing, doesn't it? And you know, that's, that, that's the, the way that this thing works is. Everything that we've been talking about this morning, have you realized how it all just kind of dovetails all together, all these three things? We, we've talked about rejoicing evermore. We've talked about praying without ceasing. And we've also talked about giving thanks always. And here's how all of that comes together. Listen, as we're praying without ceasing, what we're doing while we're praying is, is we're rejoicing evermore, and we're giving God thanks in all things. That's how it works. God says, we're to be doing all three of those things at all times. So it makes a lot of sense that that we're to pray without ceasing, because prayer is how we express the joy that's in our hearts as we rejoice, which we're also to always be doing. And, and prayer is how we express our thanks, which we're to always be doing. And so these three ideas, they all come together, and what it does is, is it describes what our worship should look like. It should be a way of life, just like breathing in and out. Worship is not what we do simply when we begin service on Sunday. Worship is a way of life, y'all, where we're in constant fellowship and communication with the lord and we rejoice and give him thanks throughout each day psalm 97 and verse 12 it it pulls all these ideas together in one verse check it out the psalmist said rejoice in the lord ye righteous and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness and he takes all the things we've talked about this morning and pulls them all together hebrews 13 15 it It does the same thing for us. It says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. In other words, rejoice. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. God does it again in Psalm 107 and verse 22 when he says, And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing, that's what our daily lives are to look like. All three of these things coming together as we worship the Lord throughout each day. We're we're praying without ceasing while we're while we're rejoicing in the Lord and giving Him thanks always in all things. When 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 the, when the Bible says to pray without ceasing, he's, he obviously doesn't mean for us to go lock ourselves in a prayer closet all day long no it's a way of life where we rejoice and give thanks while we're at work we rejoice and give thanks while we're at the gym while we're driving down the road now that that being said though god wants us to to worship like that throughout the course of each day he doesn't want us doing that in place of that special time that we set aside in prayer to him i think we all understand that i I talked about that set-aside time a little bit earlier. God, of course, He still wants us to set aside time free from any distractions and just spend time with Him in prayer. Praying without ceasing throughout the day isn't to replace that time in the morning. It's in addition to that time, and I think that we all understand that. And I say that because as we approach God, in our special dedicated time in the morning that we spend with Him, I want us to see the priority that God places on rejoicing and expressing thankfulness and worship during that time. Do you realize that there is a special time and place that God has delegated as we approach Him and as we enter His presence? There's a special place and time for rejoicing, giving thanks, and worship. There's a, there, one of the places that we actually learn this is in the Lord's Prayer. There's this common misunderstanding about the Lord's Prayer. It's 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 commonly viewed as a prayer that we're just we're, that we're to memorize and to quote, right? It's so familiar that man, for the most part, I think even the lost world knows about half of it, right? In in high school, we used to quote it in the locker room before the game. And I can just assure you there's not a lot of kids in that group that were, went to church or were trying to follow God with their lives, but they had the Lord's Prayer memorized. And, and, and so because of that common misconception, I just want to remind us of what the verse before Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer says, starting in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Check this out. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So, so the request that is made of Jesus is, teach us to pray. And, and what Jesus then does is, is he, not, not gives a, he doesn't give us a prayer to memorize. No, he gives us a model as to how we're to approach God in prayer. And here's the model. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, I... Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And then the prayer continues on. But what I want us to make sure we see is, is that when Jesus models for us how it is that we are to pray, he teaches us to approach him, yes, as, as heavenly Father, But the way we begin our prayer is we approach him in worship. Hallowed be thy name. God places such a priority on worship, rejoicing, and thankfulness that when Jesus models for us how to pray, he says, I want you to make your approach to me in worship. And and listen, you can see in verse 3, when Jesus says, give us day by day our daily bread you can see there's a place for us to make our request made known unto god you understand that there is a place for that in prayer it's just not at the beginning one of the other ways we see this is from what we learn in psalm 100 and verse 4 he says you guys probably have this verse memorized but have you ever taken some time to consider what it's saying It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Now, this passage definitely has a a doctrinal application or a a future application, and, and it's in reference to the rebuilt temple at Jerusalem in the millennium. But from a devotional standpoint, do you see what God is teaching us? He's saying as we approach him and we enter his presence as we come before him in prayer here's how we're to enter when we enter the gates and enter into his presence we enter with thanksgiving and praise or rejoicing we're to approach god in prayer and begin with worship through praise rejoicing and thanksgiving god says i've put such a priority on praying And rejoicing and on Thanksgiving that not only do I want you to be doing that all the time It's where I want you to begin When you approach me in prayer in the special time you've set aside and dedicated to me each day You know back when we, we We back when I began to understand some of what we've covered this morning man It completely changed my prayer life. It completely changed the outlook I had it completely changed how I prayed in my quiet time with the Lord And it completely changed how I communicate with the Lord throughout the course of the day But man, I'm not so sure I understood the full extent of it Until I sat down this week and started studying it in detail We're gonna worship God once we get to heaven y'all and it's gonna be amazing but God is trying to show us this morning that's what life should look like right now too. Oh yeah, we're going to rejoice evermore and we're going to be thankful once we're in heaven. But God says, I want you to do that now. You realize God created us to be worshipers. Right. Isaiah 43, 21. Hey, have you ever seen it? The people I have formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. That's why he formed us. That's why he created us, to to worship him and to show forth his praise. Let's rejoice in him and thank him this morning as the band comes. Father, I, I thank you, God, that we have so much to rejoice about. We have so much to rejoice about because we know that we're eternally secure in you. We know the hope that we have in the future in our relationship with you, God. And we have so much to be thankful for. God, just the fact that you desire for us to pray without ceasing is mind-boggling. The fact that you want to hear from us that regularly, you want that type of relationship with us, God. I pray, Lord, that as, we, as, we're, as we're listening to your word this morning, God, would it, would it prick our hearts and would it change us, God? Would it change the way we approach you in prayer and understand your, your desire, For this rejoicing and this desire to hear from us, this desire for us to be thankful, God. I pray that would be characteristic of our lives, God, and we sure do love you. You've been so good to us. You've been so gracious to us in so many countless ways, and we rejoice and we praise you for that. In your name we pray, amen.